And so when you find tasks like that at work, there's all kinds of benefits in it. Cause most of the time we all know about it from outside of work and we think right. of athletes surfing. Yeah. Surfing. <laughs> you think of basketball. I was actually given a presentation recently where I was talking about Michael Jordan and him even mentioning it, like uh, just him hitting shots and things. And that's usually what we think of, but we've missed some of the benefits of being at work. And so if you're able to build your day, structure your day in these ways, then you're able to have the positive benefits because yes, Mc, you know, it's, there's like the, the joke that when once McKenzie talks about it, maybe this thing's real, <laughs> yeah. they're starting to talk about this human behavior side. So maybe this is, you know, we want, there's a couple of Nobel prizes maybe it's here to stick. It. Yeah. Stick yeah. So McKenzie's talking about it. there's, you know, it's, there's the, the trifecta of it, but yeah. there's also, they've done study on executives and ones that were finding flow at work. We're finished. We're doing 10 to 15% more work. Welcome to AFO Wealth Management Forward, a podcast about finance, accounting, technology, and entrepreneurship. We apply our decades worth of experience and insight into what makes businesses work so we can help others grow both personally and professionally. In this ever-evolving marketplace, we help accounting firms and financial advisors grow their practice through the adoption of holistic wealth management services. Learn from industry leaders and subject matter experts to unlock the secrets of their success a podcast that shows people and companies the transformative power of technology so they don't fear it, but instead harness it. Don't fight the robots, team up with them. And here are your hosts, Rory Henry, Director of Business Development and CEO Rob Santos of Arrowroot Family Office. All right, hello everyone. Today we're joined by another great guest, he is the head of product at Shaping Wealth. He has a PhD. He's also an instructor at the College for Financial Planning, teaching courses for the accredited behavioral finance professional program. We're here to talk about behavioral finance and more importantly, flow. So without further ado, let me introduce our guest, Dr. Jordan Hutchinson. Jordan, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here, Roy. All right, buddy. I'm you know I'm excited about this. We've talked a, a bit here. I love behavioral finance. I, you know, I'm interested in flow. You know, before we get into the flow aspect of things, can you kind of walk us down this, you know, professional and personal pathway on on how you became a, a doctor uh, and got into behavioral finance? Yeah, and so I'll, I'll step and go how I got actually into financial planning because that's one of those things that we've all you know all of us in the industry have a unique way of falling into it. And it's even was one little piece of my uh, research in my dissertation was looking at was the amount of people that are career changers. And so yeah. I fell into it and um, actually I was finishing up my undergrad, didn't have a clue what I was going to do and went to grad school programs and started searching like, <laughs> all right, I'm going to just try to buy myself a couple more years to figure it out. <laughs> Stay in <And> school. <laughs> found a financial planning to program at Alabama. And that's really where I got a little taste of the academic world. I was teaching and doing some research with the professors there. And then um, after doing that for a few years, I decided, look, I want to go try to do this full time. So I became an advisor. And then I'll, I'll just touch on my background on it. But I was an advisor for a little while, started in broker dealer space, worked my way all the way to the full hybrid, and then uh, decided I wanted to go in the tech world. was really enjoying the tech space, just how they build these fintech products. And again, I got that itch to want to learn more. And I started my doctorate while I was working, uh, which I don't recommend always to everyone. <laughs> I had a couple kids in that time frame. And so uh, 
nothing like putting my putting my uh my wife through some stress while she had a she's a, a real champion here <laughs> agree agree and she pr- equally has a phd in the um behavioral science world because she's had to hear me talk it through with her all the yeah. time but, yeah so i was in the tech space for a little while and um doing my research and really just enjoying this behavioral space and so that's where you know i was working for a, an ria right before jumping into the tech space and that's where i got the interest just in conversations with them and just it bred into this where it was now into a product space and then it came to the point where how could I pair these two things to work together because I truly loved the technology that we were doing together with it like with advisors and then I was trying to figure out where does this behavioral fit in because these are two two facets of the industry that are just evolving quickly mm-hmm. and so that's where those two passions have really Are you an accountant looking to generate more revenue and secure your future success as automation and artificial intelligence revolutionize the accounting profession? If so, contact us at AFO Wealth Management Forward. We specialize in helping accountants and advisors just like you build a custom brand to pinpoint your optimal clientele, generate highly qualified leads through our data-driven digital marketing, and execute wealth management growth services to bring more value to your firm and your client's life. Our strategic approach to branding, marketing, and wealth management is carefully tailored to attract ideal clients, increase customer retention rates, and cultivate lasting relationships with clients across generations. Visit wealthmanagementforward.com to book your free consultation to find out how you can elevate your practice. Shaped my career, and so I continued the research and flow being a past athlete has found found a spot in my heart and then also I was testing it out in some conversations and with some clients and firms we were working with and I found that hey this might actually play well before we get into flow because I'm always interested in you know how athletes get into flow Michael Jordan Tiger Woods you know Michael Phelps um you know I want to talk about those early uh, jobs that you did have, because I know you did work for a firm and they're kind of on the forefront, uh, being innovative in, in involving behavioral finance into their RIA practice. Can you talk about that, that early experience there? Yeah. So working with them, that was, uh, so I'll step back and the, I got recruited to this firm because I was actually good friends with a guy named Daniel Crosby. And <laughs> Dr. Daniel, he's been on the yeah. podcast. <laughs> I remember his right. three E's. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And so funny thing is, is Daniel and I are both from the same town in Alabama, which uh, who would have thought that uh, both behavioral <laughs> guys grew up different high schools, different parts of the town, but what's well, in the water people. there in Alabama? <laughs> there's no telling because there's a, there's a lot of unique birds coming from there, but <laughs> Um, Daniel and I working together, we had some conversations. He actually moved on his career, was starting to work for Brinker, mm-hmm. was writing a couple books. And then around that time, a firm reached out and was like, Hey, we love this conversation that you're pushing. There's not a lot of us talking about it. Why don't you, uh, consider come, you know, interview here. We've got a great practice and we think that we're one of the first in the industry. And so yeah. I got to work with a, a group of people there that, almost were ahead of their time, in my opinion, that they saw where the industry was going. They truly believed that there was more to the client conversation. And a lot of our training and language was all about, we called it behavioral wealth management. And so mm-hmm. we were building tools, practicing them, testing them out with clients, just in ways to have them more fulfilled and have a joyful life. And so that was really where I got introduced to, okay, 
there's this behavioral bias. There's all the behavioral economics, this, you know, heavy quantitative stuff. Yeah. But this client experience and positive psychology and deeper with the client conversation is a completely different beast. And it's not telling someone, hey, Rory, you, you know, it looks like you're a little overconfident here, like, (laughs) you know, or, you know, you have this bias, because that's not, that's not going to benefit anyone in the situation. (laughs) Right. And so they were at the cusp that really, you know, starting to push this conversation. And I think they were one of the best. And that was where it sparked my interest into going into the space of, okay, this is, there's something there. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about some of these overarching themes because I know we talked about it uh, on our conversation prior to the podcast, you know, talking about advice tech and, and human behavior. Uh, can you kind of give our audience members like some just a background on, on what that is? Yeah. So like on the, the advice tech space that um, I sp- I've spent some time literally from the first line of code in a, in a product where we were trying to help with some of the biggest problems in our industry. So one was onboarding clients. That's always a headache. It's time. It's, you know, we don't constantly hit clients with, Hey, did you get this document to me? And Hey, did you sign? And so that's frustrating. So we're trying to, that was one area where we were trying to really build something that could speed up that process. And, you know, and then another, I was working where I was handling all the the tech stack for about 1600 advisors nationwide and truly trying to give them a core tech stack that they could come to somebody. Because if you're an advisor and you go to look at the, you know, we all know the, the Kitsis FinTech map, <laughs> yes. it's exhausting. And it you're like, exhausting. <laughs> you're like, all right, so I'm going to spend the next three months demoing these products to figure out what in the world I want. Yeah. And so, um, my role there was really to spend that time, be that person to help and, you know, really narrow it down to give them like, hey, this is the optimal tech stack for this style practice. This one is the optimal tech stack for this style. And that was something I worked and I was working at that time with Michael Kitsis and Alan Moore and some people over at XY. And that's what we were doing. And that was really when I talk about the advice tech space, that was my role there was to manage those relationships and to help coach advisors on here's the tech stack that's going to leverage you to build the practice you want because i firmly believe that there's a space for the solo practitioner there's a space for the boutique practice there's a space for the enterprise and there's a space for like family office style practice i think there's truly people want to work with different styles and i think there's a place for all those so each one of those needs has different costs has different you know onboarding just client experience at whole so that from the advice tech, uh, I hope that answers your question on what that, that fits. <laughs> yeah, no, I know because people get frustrated with all the technology out there and they got technology coming out of their ears. Um, I'm always interested in it because you have that advisor experience and then you have that client experience. You know, how are you utilizing some of the, the behavioral, you know, finance type type of concepts uh, in helping shape, you know, maybe the technology that you're advising on now or, or helping, you know, those advisors be able to communicate to the client uh, to get them to take action, um, you know, on what they're trying to get them to do. Yeah. So on those two pieces, the advisor side, I really want them spending time on what makes them the best, like builds their practice they want or spends the time where they're at their best. Obviously right. there's some undertones of flow there that we'll get to <laughs> later, but that's truly, I don't want them spending unless that's the role they have in the firm is to be embedded into the the software, building the plan, whatever it is, or, you know, 
that's that's one of those spaces i want that to leverage their time so that they can be doing what they're most fulfilled doing what actually benefits the business if you're a phenomenal relationship manager you don't need to be spending time in the tech you yeah. need to be spending time with your clients yeah. on the phone with them in meetings whatever it is if, and business development and so from the behavioral side i'm really trying to optimize that is where can they be at their best in that where can they set up workflows processes all of that that's all rooted in behavior and then on the client side is a lot more coaching and a lot more training of it and so a lot of the learning and development piece of that would be how can you be at your best in those client meetings how can you truly get to what's underneath everything so for example uh, i think it's michael kitsis that always says it that when people come to you as a for, for an advisor, when they come to you, it's rarely that's the real that's problem. The real problem that's right? <laughs> There's something under that that's an undertone. And and I've said it many times that it's you've got to get past that. And a lot of times it might be a quick win. It might be something transactional. But then you can dig deeper when deeper. they're actually ready to go into a more values-based conversation, goals, all those things that are rooted at their heart. And so that's that behavioral piece in the client side is just learning how to communicate better, build that trust, build that client retention, wallet share, all those buzzwords yeah. that fit in there. That's the the client side. The advisor side is how can you be at your best where you're not, you know, doubling up on something that you should be either outsourcing or hiring right. teammates for, where can you really leverage your time? All right. And let's talk about being your best because that's what I think of when I hear flow. Can you talk about uh, you know, what flow is in the in the research you're doing in the space? Yeah. So uh, the, the quick definition of flow <laughs> is uh well, the quick I'd say this the quick and in short would be being in the zone. And yeah. so the the academic side would be the state of deep absorption that is intrinsically motivating with defined goals and is enjoyable. So that's a great academic definition, but really what it makes up is that you found something that you can lose track of time, really get engaged in, and be in, uh, be in that deep absorption. And so when you find tasks like that at work, there's all kinds of benefits in it. Because most of the time, we all know about it from outside of work, and we think right. of athletes. Surfing. Yeah, surfing. <laughs> you think of basketball. I was actually given a presentation recently where I was talking about Michael Jordan and him even mentioning it, like uh, just him hitting shots and things. And that's usually what we think of, but we've missed some of the benefits of being at work. And so if you're able to build your day, structure your day in these ways, then you're able to have the positive benefits because yes, Mc you know, it's, there's like the, the joke that when once McKinsey talks about it, maybe this thing's real, <laughs> yeah. they're starting to talk about this human behavior side. So maybe this is, you know, we want, there's a couple of Nobel prizes maybe it's here to stick. It. Yeah. yeah. So McKinsey's talking about it. there's, you know, it's, there's the, the trifecta of it, but yeah. there's also, they've done study on executives and ones that were finding flow at work. We're finished. We're doing 10 to 15% more work, which mm -hmm. is pretty powerful. When you think of advisors days, they're all very time scarce. They, yeah, they're yeah. very busy and there's just so much going on that if you're able to have that at work, you're now getting more done. You're more fulfilled in all that. And there's that, my pitch is definitely towards that well-being piece is this is also helping you in your life. There's studies that show that there's a spillover effect of energy and vigor outside of your work if you're having these moments at work. So if you're having flow states at work, then you're going to have more energy outside of work and you're going to have more positive emotion. But 
from the work side to go back to that, mm -hmm. your performance is going up. And then if you're actually doing this with clients, that's, there's, that's a whole nother side of it that we can get into. But if you're doing it with your employees, then your employees are having more fulfillment. They're more engaged, but so you have better performance as a person, but better performance as an organization. I don't know a, a firm or any kind of leadership uh, role that says, you know what, I don't, I don't want better performance in my yeah. company. And so I think that it's, it's one of those things that there's, it's deeply rooted in a lot of rigor and evidence-based research that it's not something that's guru woo-woo kind of space yeah there's a lot of value in it and it can really make a difference in your firm yeah so you know let's kind of move from the i guess the guru woo-woo to actual practical steps that you know people can take to start maybe advising their employees on how to best get into flow you know what are the you know the top three things that you know, people out there can can start utilizing uh, to get in that flow state yeah, the, the best one that I always push people to think about is what is something that's unique to you that's a high skill and high challenge? So there's this thing called the high, the challenge skill balance. Yeah. So if there's something that is challenging, that's a, you know, a task that you're good at. So from the sports relationship, you know, it's if you're not a basketball player and you go shoot basketball, it's, it's probably not going to be that engaging and fun for you because it's not right. something you enjoy. You're not good at it. The same with work is that if there's something that you're not doing, you're not good at, you don't have a high skill at, and it's not a difficult task, then you're going to have some issues there. But really, as in your day, to find your strengths, your talents, where are you at your best? That is one of the best places to start. And those are the areas that you're going to have the best opportunity to find flow. And usually when you're in those tasks or activities, you're going to get some of the other precursors, which is clear goals. Hey, you're trying to get this done because if I get this done, I can deliver it to a client. New client means more growth. It, you know, kind of follow the, follow the bouncing ball. And then, you know, you have those clear goals. You have immediate feedback from it. That feedback is coming because you're doing your work. You're getting it done. You're getting things accomplished. And all that's positive emotion, but it's also building so much momentum for you. But I would say that that is one of the best ways for him to organize their day and to really focus on that is truly finding the strengths and talents of your team. Where are they at their best and helping them focus on that? Am I saying that there's a hundred percent chance that everything you do is going to be your favorite right. thing? Of course not. No, but there are ways to focus and craft your job so that, and especially from a leadership perspective, where are your teammates at their best? And that's going to help the company do so much more by helping them focus on that. And that was part of my, actual research was I looked at flow as a predictor of employee engagement. And so flow, the way we look at it at work is these <laughs> short peak experiences. These could be even doing what some people would call the Pomodoro, which is you set a timer for focus for 20 to 30 minutes on a task. Those are short flow experiences. You can have block out of your time, hour and a half on your calendar, clear, you know, clear the distractions so they can really get deep into a project. That's where flow at work is going to happen. And so that longer state is going to be a little different. But if my research shows that the flow predicts employee engagement in financial planners. So we've all seen that we're riddled with talent issues of burnout. We have all of these people that are reporting that they're not engaged in their work. Yeah. Well, one of the ways to fit that flows that has a negative correlation to burnout and then it also is a predictor of employee engagement, which is that longer state of engagement in your work. 
instead of those short flow experiences. And so that's one way that you can fit it in and it just keeps giving you benefits in the firm. Yeah. And for you know, majority of our audience for accountants and CPAs out there, you know, there is a staffing crisis. Uh, there's it, it, uh, you know issues with retention and recruiting. Um, and I, I, I believe it's because they're not doing that challenging work that's rewarding and providing that value. Many times, you know, they're doing mundane tasks and stuff that, you know, isn't rewarding to them mentally. So you know, I think like looking at the flow and, and being able to start challenging those employees can help with retention and, and attracting, you know, a, a new, uh, you know, new younger generation of, of, of employees here. Exactly. And to throw that tech piece in too, is that if you're leveraging technology to remove some of those tasks that are frustrating, that are not going to be something that they're engaged in, that helps so much so that they're actually doing something that is engaging, that they enjoy doing and so that they can get that fulfillment from. And another thing too is, you know, with the CPAs, with some of that work-life balance, because there's so much of <laughs> like, you know, here's, here's a blackout period and, you know, it's it's tough. When you're not sleeping and when you're not having the proper like overall well-being, those are one of the biggest things that take away from being able to get in flow is it with the, we're strapped for attention, our attention, like our focus. Right. And so if you have things that are interrupting you, that are giving you distractions and you're tired or stressed, it's going to be really hard to get into those space. Yeah, because an enemy of flow has to be multitasking. Uh, correct, Jordan? It does. And that's actually um, one thing I talked about in a presentation here uh, recently, I, I went into the weeds of it because it was just so important to me that, you know, and that our, our mind is so strapped where people are trying to take our attention. It's our phone is beeping, Slack's coming up or teams or whatever's <laughs> pinging. And there's actually some really great research from uh, Georgia tech here in Atlanta, where I'm based. That they said that whenever you switch tasks, it takes you about 23 to 25 minutes, almost 30 minutes to be able to get back into what you were doing. So when you hit that distraction and not saying you can't converse at work and somebody coming up to your desk, but if you're trying to get some things done, you've got to find the, the environment that's best for you. And that's one of those things is that you're burning resources every time that you're going back and forth. And so uh, I can spit off a couple crazy numbers. That, Give me the uh, stats. We always like stats here. Yeah. Who, who doesn't love numbers? And science, <laughs> but, uh, a couple good ones were time spent on your phone. On average, it's two hours a day. Uh, the time that we check our phone 60 times a day. Oh my gosh. So some, when you start to look at these and then the one that really like kind of blew my mind is that in our life, cause you know, you see like these crazy stats, like, Oh, we waited in line this many years of yeah. our life. And I was, one of them was that you spend on average two years of your life on Facebook. Oh, and wow. I don't know anybody that would look back at their life and go, right. you know what, that was time well spent. And so it's, it's frustrating that when we're in more stressful situation, we're more likely to check social. And so having that attention that keeps getting robbed, it really hurts us from, you know, being able to get into that flow state. Yeah. Uh, now I know you mentioned identity. Uh, can you talk about that and, and how that uh, correlates with flow? Yeah. So this is one of the big areas where when I, I try to work with advisors to help them transition this into a conversation for their clients because 
flow can be powerful for your practice so that you're getting more done. You're more fulfilled. You're, you have more energy at work, all of that. But then also I love it that I was an advisor. I've been there. And whenever you hear something of behavioral finance and you're like, okay, that's great. But how am I going to do that next week? Like, how? yeah, it's fun to know this quirky thing about myself or my clients, but (laughs) if I can't add value to my practice, then it's just going to go, you know, the the notes will go in the trash or the notes will go on a shelf in a folder that I've never, that I won't check ever again. And so with the identity piece, it's truly thinking about how, how our life, like how our roles and our identity play into the different transitions of life. So we all are going through life events, life transitions and different things. And, you know, actually um, you and I have talked about this before that how Hirschfeld has done some really interesting research on future self. Fascinating. Yeah. And he's done some stuff where looking at, and I've used this before is when you're at 29, 39, 49, these different times in your life, these landmarks, yeah. you reflect back on your life and you're curious, like, am I living the life I've always wanted? And is is this, you know, am I living the vision and purpose that I had in my mind? And so these times in our lives, these life events, transitions. So when I say life events or transitions, having a child, changing yeah. a job, divorce, marriage. I think everyone kind of gets the gist that these are always going on in our life in different ways. And whenever these changes in our life happen, our identity has changed. Mm -hmm. So you go from having a busy life and kids in the house and one goes to college. (laughs) A couple of them are say, say all the kids are out of the house, empty nest. Well, now you have all this free time quote free time, you know, that, um, what, what are you going to do? And so you've lost some of your fulfillment and engagement. And a lot, this is really, really salient with retirement. Yeah. And I think advisors and CPAs can, can go ahead. Go ahead. I mean, what comes to mind is Tom Brady uh, here, Jordan. Like he literally couldn't retire, maybe cost him his family, you know? And so he, because his identity, his whole life was football. I mean, I remember I had friends at UCLA who played baseball and football. Um, and when they ended their college careers and didn't make it to the pros, they didn't know what to do because they did right. that since they were a child. And I'm sure the same thing happened to you when you played basketball. A hundred percent. And that's, you know, that's one of the personal like cores of like why this is so significant to me is I've, and I've even had some conversations with other people in the industry that have played sports is that that's, it's hard. I mean, that's one of those things is it's tough because you go from knowing that's your identity. That's what people know you for. That's what you do. Yeah. And so think about that, 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 you know, one of the first things, especially in Western culture, and I've learned by, you know, working with larger, uh, at Shaping Wealth, we work globally, that this is a global thing and not necessarily just us in the West. But one of the first things people ask you when they meet you is, hey, Rory, what do you do? Like, what do you do? And so so they want to, they want to have an identity to tie you to. And so when you take that away in like retirement, you, you go to like these few things that were smaller to you like okay i'm gonna go play golf or i'm gonna hang out with the grandkids or something and that's one of the biggest things like brett Favre had a hard time retiring you know there's a lot of those big name athletes that really struggle because they haven't thought through how to retire they haven't thought through what are those tasks and self-defining activities that you can do to gain fulfillment and you know sometimes it might be best for people you know to stick to the sports analogy to go coach yeah. Because they've gained so much fulfillment in life from that. And that's how you can use it with clients is when you see them going through these big transitions, 
asking them and really pushing them to think about what they're going to do with their time. Where are they going to find engagement in life? Because you can't, for me, I don't play golf. So I'm going to have to really think about this. And so that's one of those things is you can only spend so much time with your grandkids when the kid, when your kids start to go, all right, Hey, you know, you're, you're, you're already hanging out enough. Like they're going to, you're going to get in the way, but I say that as a joke, but the, <laughs> the, the point is, is like, you've got to think of other things to fulfill you. And especially with you, with aging, you've got to see, to push yourself to these new experiences, to push yourself to learn things or to use those, you know, we talk about this thing called capital allocation. So we all have our capital and I'm not just talking like capital and financial. We got capital in our time. We got capital on the skills and gifts that we have. Yeah. And so how can you use what maybe your career? I mean, I'll, I'll stick with the football one and hope because I am in the SEC. I am a <laughs> graduate of Alabama. So why not? But the um, there's just so much value from a person like Tom Brady could give to kids on just teaching them how to throw a football. Something yeah. that small is, you know, that doesn't think he probably doesn't think anything of it because he just does it. But however, that is something that he could pass along. That's something that's a gift, a talent, his time, his temporal, that's part of your capital yeah. that you can give and do. And that's a task that he could probably gain a lot of fulfillment that he's passing on. And all of our clients have unique identities. They have different skill sets and different things. This is a conversation that if you want your client to be fulfilled and you want them to not burn through their assets because they're searching, <laughs> really struggling. You should have that conversation and you don't have to start heavy. You start yeah. small and you just push them. This is why I believe Jordan that CPAs and accounting professionals are uniquely positioned to be advisors in the future. I mean, if I could build a workforce of retiring CPAs who are tired of doing tax work and financials and let them just be relationship uh, people advising other baby boomers, maybe who are retiring, you know, they could do very, very well because we're sitting on, you know, baby boomers retiring at a, you know, a crazy pace. What is 71 million by 2030? Right. Um, you know, and they're, they're going to, you know, they're going to, they're living longer. So, right. you know, how, who are advising those people? Not everybody has a financial advisor. Um, so I think it's a, it's a great opportunity, but like you said, I think we're, you know, you're, we're early on in this process. Not everybody is adopting this behavioral financial advice. Um, but, you know, doing this type of stuff can be incredibly rewarding for you as a practitioner, as well as helping those clients out. I a hundred percent agree on that. And it's, I think it's, CPAs and you know I've said this before and you know I think you agree with me and we've talked about it is that CPAs and accountants they've already built so much trust in that relationship because yeah. as an advisor yes you 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 have to quote sell the client or make them believe that they can't do it all themselves <laughs> right even though I agree I think everyone should have an advisor but there's still a lot of people that believe they it's a do it yourself or yeah, but you have to do your taxes every year. That's yes. not a choice. <laughs> that's not that's something you get to decide that you do, you can do it yourself. But it probably brings a lot of stress, yeah. especially with when you rise in the income level. The mm-hmm. complexity gets quite difficult and time consuming. But those accountants, those CPAs, have built so much trust that even opening the door, and they might already have been asked these questions, but they just haven't been prepared how to go down that path and guide them on that path. But that's why I think that the behavioral finance space is so strong because it's it's going to make your client even more, and I hate to use the word sticky, but like more like in it'll deepen that in, relationship even yeah. further. 
and it'll make it more rewarding for both parties. And my other question is, Jordan, because I know, you know, when people hire a financial advisor, they've accumulated some type of income or some type of wealth. But I think these behavioral finance uh, concepts are crucial early, early on. You know, I think about high school, uh, you know, getting your first job or, or getting married or having that baby. Not everybody has a financial advisor at that point because they just don't have the income or the wealth yet. But right. these, the, but that's when it's most important, most likely, to really ingrain those concepts uh, to start them on the pathway to success. I, I I agree completely. That's I always thought about that, and that's the fact that like when you're going through, let's just say like your 30s and 40s, like the 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 <laughs> middle part of the bell curve there. Yeah. That's where you're making some of the largest decisions, and you have to make them quickly. Yes, high emotion, and there's a lot going on, and you haven't learned life. I mean, you haven't right. got the scars and the you know the 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 practice of having to make these mistakes or and if you don't have a reliable person like a family member or someone or an advisor that you were already introduced to it's tough because you go through like I said life events you're hitting so many of them yeah you're going you could be getting married having kids buying a house like buying new cars like they're starting to save for college like they're all these big things that we talk about in financial planning are happening at the beginning at here beginning. And there's actually, I can't remember who did it, but there was a really interesting study done. I think it was in Canada where they showed a multiplier of by the time you work with an advisor. So the it's a, almost like the uh, like rolling a snowball, like you're- It's a force multiplier. Yeah, so that just keeps building on it the longer you work with an advisor because the benefit of working with that person is truly they're gonna help you make better decisions but also, you know, it's going to think about like the stress that they pull off of you. I don't know how many times I've worked with clients or been involved with advisors when they said that they finally got this client to start working with them and to trust them. That It's almost like a weight comes off their back yeah. that they're like, I trust you. Now I'm not worrying about this and I can go do what I really enjoy doing. Yeah. And if you really think about it too, Jordan, uh, this is personal finance. If you really take this and apply this to the business owners, uh, and many times in, in CPAs and accounting firms out there, they're the ones advising those business owners. It's taking these concepts, the behavioral concepts, and applying it really to your business. You run your personal, if you run your business properly, you can run your personal life properly as well. It, it's all, especially like when you're saying with the business owners, that's one of the places where assets are so intertwined. Yes. And that, I mean, like, the people that are listening, I, I assume that they're just nodding their head like, oh my gosh, you know, a lot of times business owners, their biggest asset is the business. It's the business. And so th working with someone to either have a way to pull some liquidity out of it and the different methods and structures with that, but also helping them feel comfortable that they're growing the business in a way or that they're handling things properly, having the trust of that relationship. I, I don't, I can't even stress that enough so that that person can focus on either maybe passing the business on to the, yep. if it's a family business, maybe they can spend more time truly getting the next generation ingrained, learning the business, learning, you know, passing the values that they might've had of why they created the company, why they do it this way. Cause that's a huge thing in many multi-generational families. Yep. That's a tough conversation because we all grow up in a different environment. We all have different learning styles. We have different personalities and so if you can pass those values down and some multi-generational families I've worked with, 
the ones that have talked about that have such a better relationship with each other because they get where each of them come from and they have that conversation. And when it comes to business owners, you, you, you don't necessarily want them to just walk in and go, you know what? I don't get this. Why did we, why did the family do this? Let's, let's have an exit and sell it. And I'm going to walk away. Yeah. Let's talk about money scripts here, Jordan, because obviously that, that uh, is what we look at uh, when we're making decisions is how we really grew up uh, and our relationship towards money. Now, go back to the football analogy. I think if everybody had Nick Saban as a financial coach, right, right. they would be would be better off. So can we talk about, you know, this relationship with money, this money scripts and, and really how this uh, is developed in our early childhood? Yeah, that's, you know, that's one of my favorite little areas in, in different areas of academics or in the practitioner world can call them different things, either money scripts or money yeah. messages. And truly at its root, what it is, is it's the things that we've learned directly or indirectly in our life that is a message or is a script that's told to us on how we should make a decision. And a lot of times those come from our parents. It could become from necessarily our mother or father, but it could come from indirectly from an uncle and our grandparent, all these things. It could come from peers it's truly unique to your culture. A lot of times they're cultural too, and your life and childhood and how you were raised. And I think that's a huge thing to, to have clients reflect on. Well, I would, let me step back, even advisors figuring out where their decision, (laughs) there's some, you know, why, why do you manage money this way? Are you pushing (laughs) your belief that like, Hey, we need to be a little more conservative here. (laughs) Is that, is that the right thing for the client? Or is it one of those things that it's, what you're pushing your belief because that's how you feel in this environment. And so truly understanding that background on why we make these decisions, because sometimes these money scripts could serve us well and serve us in a positive light because maybe it was good information, but sometimes they could serve us bad and serve us negative decision-making and we don't want that. And so we might have to reframe that conversation and not in the fact of like, we're going to have to work through this with a psychologist or a therapist because then you, yeah. out, you, you know, you refer things that are beyond our scope, but these are conversations that you can learn by deeply asking these questions to your clients of, so, so why do you have, like, why do you feel this way about the situation, you know, and start going back. And a lot of times it might be, well, you know, my father always said, do this. Mm-hmm. And when you hear that judgment statement, that's a red flag in your mind that should be like, Hey, okay. They're making this statement because of something that, and how has this served you well? And maybe they can go deeper into that and continue to to expand on it. But understanding where our decision-making comes from is so strong and so powerful in understanding our truth, like money story. Yeah. Um, All right. Do you have anything else you want to share about flow here, Jordan, that we didn't touch on? I know there's a bunch. (laughs) I mean, I could go, I could go for another hour or so. Um, I would say there's nothing too salient that comes to mind. I, uh, I always welcome any conversation for it. If there's any advisors or CPAs that are um, curious and want to learn more, because I I see that I'll position it again as there's truly, it impacts your advisor practice. How are you running your business? How are you running your day and how are you managing your firm? But then also, how are you having this conversation with clients? And so I always like to bring that home that it's it's multifaceted because it can impact all of us. And one of the greatest things about flow is that it's ubiquitous to the world. So it doesn't <laughs> matter if you're, you know, you're 
your culture, your gender, your ethnicity, it's been researched and found in everyone. And so I think that's pretty yeah. powerful that we feel comfort that all of us have an opportunity to find it. And you said behavioral finance is like gravity, correct? So that's that's one of our uh, the tag. I, I wish that it was my idea, but I would say <laughs> it was my my colleague uh, Brian Portnoy at Shaping Wealth. He came up with that one. His 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 mind is the one that uh, behavioral finance is like gravity. It's everywhere and always. And I that's something that all four of us at Shaping Wealth believe because there's even though you have the the financial decision that heavy heavy technical conversation, there's always something of human behavior that's rooted in that. You might be doing something like we were talking with the business owner. Well, if there's a there's 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 so much emotion involved in that because all of their life might have been that business. Yeah, there's a lot of emotion in that. That if you're trying to help them, either there's some kind of exit strategy or if they're trying to pass it down, that is all emotion involved in that. Yes, there's a technical numbers quantitative piece, yeah. but man, there is so much emotion involved in it. <laughs> Yeah. And so it's that's that's one of the things that we always say is that it's everywhere and always. And it's yeah. just like gravity. Yeah. Now, if someone wants to learn more about, you know, behavioral finance flow, what are some top books? I know uh there's uh me high chick set me high. Did I pronounce it correctly, Jordan? You did. You did. <laughs> I, I usually in presentations try to get everybody to say it. Uh, they can uh they 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 have their vocabulary word for they and I in short call them Mike, but uh Mike. That, I think that, He's now um, deceased, but I think that's when he, or that's what he went by most of the time, just to simplify things. But his book is, um, he's written quite a few books actually, but I would say there's a book called Finding Flow that mm -hmm. came out. I believe it was originally published in the late nineties. There's two of them. That one, the second one, it's a little bit smaller and it's heavily in the application, less philosophical. And so I always recommend that one to people because then it can give you a little bit of a feel of all right, so these are the ways you can use it and things like that. But on the behavioral finance side, I would say um, I would recommend uh, my colleague Brian Portnoy's book, Geometry of Wealth. He really looks at it from a holistic standpoint. Mm -hmm. And uh, we mentioned our, our mutual friend, Daniel. Daniel Crosby's <laughs> got uh, a couple books that are very good when it's talking about just investor psychology. But yeah, I think those are those are yeah, his, right there that I his would... mental accounting when he talked about the Norwegian underworld and how they, their mental accounting on how they or they receive money from their day job or their uh, or their night job, <laughs> you know, they they accounted for the the money differently. I thought that was fascinating. He's he's pretty good. We actually um, this wasn't planned that we're both from Huntsville, Alabama. <laughs> now we now we live literally like five to ten minutes from each other in Atlanta. All coincidence truly um whenever i whenever we talk because we are, are still good friends we it, it's always fun to figure out what random study we right? found or random predictor of just how the world has some odd research out there you know it's there's a lot of really interesting behavioral finance studies on wine and champagne i was teaching a class <laughs> last night about that so um they the academic world they they and we try to spice it up a little bit with some interesting yeah. studies. Now, if you could have a, a massive behavioral finance study, you know, what would it be? Wow. Sorry if I stumped you. That's a, you stumped me. That's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I if think I give would... you, you know, hundreds of thousands of advisors or CPAs and you wanted to ask them questions, what would you ask them? 
so you know and maybe this is uh some kind of recency bias you know conversation <laughs> of that that's just top of mind and that i believe in is i think it would be around the advisor well-being because yeah. like understanding them because there's you know that we see a lot of the research of like happiness and things about just general consumers of the world but i think you know my focus and since this that's what my research was really studying advisors mm-hmm. is understanding just their place in the industry, their well-being and their um, emotional state. Because in many times, you know, there's every psychologist has a psychologist, like that's part <laughs> of the gig. Well, you know, I'm curious about advisors, like how are they releasing some of the stress or co- having conversations about the things that they do all day? Because yeah. when the market's down 20%, or more or any situation like that, who are they calling? Yeah. You know, all the clients are calling that yeah. person that's the point lead advisor, and he or she is having to yep. fill those questions, be the punching bag. And so that can be a drain on your your mental. I mean, thinking about COVID time, I know a close friend, he was he was just exhausted. He was having conversations all day, every day emailing and so he was getting pretty burned out so in short i would say let's study the well-being of advisors and some capacity or their resilience or something we could we could find all kinds of good variables to talk about there but uh i don't want to bore everyone (laughs) i like it i like it great uh jordan this has been fantastic um i'm going to have you on here again in the future i'm fascinated by uh, the work you're doing if anybody in our audience wants to get in touch with you what's the best way to do so yeah, I'd say the easiest is uh, find me on LinkedIn. That's where you know I'm always publishing things on there and putting research or things I'm working on there. And uh, that would be the easiest. And so it's just Jordan Hutchison. And there, there's not too many of us out there, but you should be able to find me there. All right. Awesome. All right. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks. All opinions expressed by Rob Santos and Rory Henry on this website podcast interview are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Arrowroot Family Office LLC or their parent company or affiliates and may have been previously disseminated on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by anyone as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of their opinions. Past performance is not indicative of future results.